It's your special guest host on cliffcentral.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the very first of the maid sessions where we are made and not maids. My name is Mbali Jamane, and thank you for joining us. Next to me is my lovely co-host, Teliza Cindy. Say hi, Teliza. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Teliza and I recently started a project called Made, which is a fusion of the word made, as in domestic workers. And on the other hand, this idea that constructs such as domestic work are made by society. So what am I on about? The made project is an ideology and not an idea. And I honestly believe that the strongest interventions are. It's based on the principle that the role of domestic workers and cleaners is grossly underestimated by our society. Um, the exposure that these women have is so broad. They probably straddle more socioeconomic worlds than any other group in South Africa. And I think that in a country in such dire need of nation building, that their ability to bridge and to navigate uh, the spaces and the nuances between South Africans is going to waste. Um, if there was one group that could be empowered, I feel, to unite working class and middle to upper class South Africans, it is these women. And I'm talking about bringing together taxi drivers, uh, Jewish trust fund kids, Africana capitalists, and Indian housewives, for instance, right? Taking all these people from diverse backgrounds and bringing them together to one conversation at one table. And I think this is the kind of thing that needs to be happening to take our, our country forward. So we're sitting here with the three brilliant co-founders of our podcast, Tools. Please introduce these lovely ladies. Um, so who's, the ladies that are sitting with us are absolutely phenomenal. And um, that is, I mean, they're the most inspiring people that we've met so far in our lives. We learn so much absolutely. from them every day. Um, so the first one we have is Susanna Mandla. Um, she's got an extremely nurturing heart and a mothering heart. She's firm. She's very, very morally grounded. She's strong and resilient. And she's hilarious on top of that. Um, secondly, we've got Susanna Linda. She's the youngest of all of them, but she's the bravest. Um, she's quite a visionary and she believed in this idea before anyone else did. And she, you know, brought in the cavalry. She's really amazing. And the last one is Susanna Langa. And she's really gracious and poised. Um, she's, I mean, even through the most difficult conversations, she's really mature about everything. And really just their insights are mind-blowing because, as Bali said, they're able to straddle through completely different facets of life and society and class. Um, and so these are the three phenomenal women that we're going to be having really intricate and um, interesting discussions with. Thank you, Tools. I could have said it better myself. Okay, so before we hit it, um, I just I want to address the elephant in the room because I know we're all thinking it. This is insane, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of it, absolutely insane. One minute we're sitting on my couch having these conversations over tea and far too much food, and the next minute we're in a studio at Cliff Central. And I know we spoke about this, but I don't think any of us thought it would happen so soon, right? Yeah. Definitely. So man, the girl, 
<laughs> are you are you ready for this? Yes, I am yeah? ready. Yes. I am ready. I know you are. I really do. Um and the rapid pace the r- rapid pace of all of this speaks to just how visionary Cliff Central is, I feel, because there is literally no other platform in this country where we could have a conversation like this in such a real and an authentic way. Um and there's honestly no other broadcaster slash digital media machine. Um we would approached we would have approached with this. So so thank you so much to them for their leap of faith. Uh that said, I'm gonna ask that everyone pretend that they're not here. So that we can really, really bring the energy that we had when it was just us on my couch doing our underground sessions. Forget everyone outside, forget this guy in here. <laughs> <laughs> Imposter, no. Thank you so much, Duncan. Um, but yeah, I think they've given us such a lovely opportunity that we owe it to them to have as real a conversation as we possibly can. Also, forget about how you sound. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, what we really care about is your thoughts. Language is such a slippery thing, and that's fine because it's part of what gives human conversations their flavor, right? Yeah. Um, all of the ahs and the ums and the occasional messing up of words and like sentences and the laughing at ourselves. That's what, that's what makes us human. So it's okay. Uh, <laughs> and feel free to burp, by the way, because I've, I've heard Gareth do it. <laughs> uh, I suspect the four of you are too ladylike, but, um, me on the other hand, I, I can't promise anything here. So please, please don't judge. <laughs> Um, okay, so as a sort of icebreaker, we're going to uh, play a game that my friends and I loved in high school. And it's a really great way of warming up the brain and lightening the mood. Uh, it's called Would You Rather? And basically, I'm going to ask you each a question really quickly. You have to answer it quickly without thinking about it too much and then give me a reason. But we're going to move through it very quickly, okay? So I'm going to ask each person a question. Okay. Tools, you up. Would you rather smell terrible... And not be able to smell it Or have your boyfriend smell terrible But you have to smell it Absolutely, my boyfriend and not me <laughs> What a cow <laughs> Definitely not And would you stay with him? I would Well, if, I, if it was love If I loved him, I would <laughs> you, know, you know how sometimes body stench can actually be so beautiful Oh, if you like love pheromones, someone. right? Yeah. I see, yeah. I see Okay, fair enough, good point Thank you very much, Lisa. Next um, Okay, Langa, you're up would you rather have the best house in a rubbish neighborhood or the worst house in a fancy neighborhood? So this is kind of a philosophical one. <laughs> I'd rather have um, the best house in a rubbish place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I think um, the people will actually be happy to be living with them amongst. And um, I think they'll respect me. They'll give me all the honor because I won't be competing with anyone. Oh, wow. I love how you turned that around. I was thinking, what a snub. <laughs> she just wants to be the best of the lot. And then you turned it around no and I actually am. Um, okay. I think I'm a little bit convinced. Nice one. Nice one. Um, okay. Next up, Linda. Okay. Would you rather your breath smelt like eggs or there was a green cloud behind you every time you, f- <laughs> you, f- no. you farted? <laughs> I would rather smell like eggs. Than to fight. <laughs> 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 why? Why? No, no. 
because you have to fight here. <laughs> and then everyone can see it, right? And it kind of just follows you. Yes. It's true. It's true. At least if you s- your bread smells bad, you can cover it with your mouth. Yes, yes. Yeah. No one has to know. It's true. It's true. Okay. Thank you for that. Next up, okay. uh, Mandla, would yeah. you rather have everything that you think broadcast so that people always know what you're thinking when you're thinking it or spend five years in prison in solitary confinement? I think I would like people to know. I would like what I'm thinking to be broadcasted so that people can know serious? what I'm thinking. Why? Yeah, I'm right. Wouldn't you be scared of that? No, I wouldn't be scared because I would like people to know if it is something which will build them, it will be good for them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, And at least you would have really like genuine friends, right? Yeah. And the people around you would stick around for yeah. an honest reason. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't think mm. a lot of people would say that. I think for a lot of people, that's probably their biggest fear. <laughs> and you must be yes. a really good person. Maybe the rest of us are just dark and we have like really shady thoughts. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you've got to be a really good person to say that confidently. Thank that's you. amazing. Okay, mm. cool. So that concludes our game of Would You Rather. Okay. Um, oh, no, I have one more question, actually. Would And this is for the group. Anyone can answer. Would you rather have the superpower to read minds or be invisible? Anybody? I think I would. I would rather have the superman to, to read, read other read people. Lines. Yes, yes. I want to know what they are thinking <laughs> and what they are planning. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sometimes thoughts. with what they are thinking will be helpful to me. So oh. I'd like to know what they're thinking. Oh, you see, there you did. You yeah. did what Langa did. Now you <laughs> you spin it around and, and made it a good thing. I think you were just curious. This is awesome. Okay. Well, uh, I would take invisibility for sure because I think it would be such a, a powerful way to see the world. You know, if you could mm. be anywhere um, undetected. And actually, speaking of invisibility, I think that that's a superpower that you ladies have. Absolutely. But that's a story for another day. And on that high note, uh, let's dig in. Tools, why don't you explain briefly? What we've been doing with the maid sessions and what kind of conversations we hope to have. Um, so the maid sessions was inspired by the voices of the women that you're hearing today. Um, their absolute wisdom and insights into varying degrees of life is what inspired our reach into larger platforms. So we're privileged to be flies on the wall to their conversations. And our growth through these talks have inspired the need to make these sessions as available to you, the listeners, as they are to us. Um, their role as maids in society really exists in um, a very important sphere of society. So the notion that no topic is off limits stems from the ability to understand all these different spheres in both intimate and objective ways. Um, so the, the topics that we're really interested in, which is actually everything. <laughs> but, <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> everything. But it includes things like, you know, the pros and cons of wealth and poverty. What is intelligence? Um, you know, because that can be quite subjective. Animal rights, the politics of space and the built environment, psychology versus African culture, social injustice within the legal system, the balance between customary and Western law, tradition and women empowerment, everything, African earthy, culture earthy, and modernity. Earthy. Yes, absolutely everything. And if you, if you hear the list, it's actually so specific to the way that they live their lives and the things that they're exposed to. And at the same time, it's, Touches on a lot of different aspects of lives, you know, of people through different yeah, classes. Yeah, they're full of surprises. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so these are the sort of things that we'll be exploring in upcoming sessions. 
Um, so really be sure to follow these ladies because it's an incredible journey and it's really about all of us to grow together. Mm. Great. Thank you so much. Um, all right. So our theme today is Made in South Africa, pun intended. We'll be chatting with these three amazing Zimbabwean women about their view of South African society from the perspective of a foreign national domestic worker. It's often much easier to really see something if you're not that close to it, right? And as much as these women have made South Africa their home, they also very much retain their identity as Zimbabweans, which I think gives them a very valuable point of view on what makes this country unique. So, uh, the very first question we'll ask you is about you guys. Uh, what is a special value that you think domestic workers and cleaners bring to South African life? Mandla? Mandla? Um, I think domestic workers play a very important role in South African life. That they do everything in the houses, looking after kids. Mm -hmm. I can say sometimes they become mothers. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they become aunties. Mm -hmm. And they are always there. They do the housekeeping. Mm -hmm. They do the washing, ironing, cleaning, cooking, mm -hmm. and looking after kids, mm -hmm. doing homework. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they are nurse aid. Mm -hmm. When the kids are sick, mm -hmm. you have to give them medication. And even they can be like, I can say like nurse aid or vet, because you have to give medicine to Pets as well, mm. if pets are not feeling okay. So I think that's wow. the most important thing wow. they're doing. Thank you so much. Thank okay, you. and I'd, I'd like to take this question, I think, a little bit further and ask you, Langa, what do you think would happen if there were, there were no domestic workers in households or cleaners in, in work and public spaces? Well, I think it would be chaos everywhere in the right. streets and in the homes because as we play an important role, I think the everything will be at standstill. Yeah. Like we take on the streets, if you look at the pick-it-up strike. Exactly, right. Um, if that rubbish wasn't collected. And that's just the collection of rubbish, you know. What would it cause? Some yeah. sicknesses and exactly, all things exactly. Like that. Hygiene. That's such yes. an important point that people don't think about, and it's such a fundamental part of having a productive society. Yes. Okay, um, I love those answers. Mm. And okay, so what really pisses me off is that no one ever really considers the economic value that cleaners and domestic workers create. And I'd actually like to find an economist that's willing to do the study in South Africa. Because first of all, if there were no domestic workers and childminders, we would lose a chunk of our workforce because so many middle to upper class women would fall apart, quite frankly, yeah. right? Because yeah. they rely on you so heavily to raise their kids and to, to make their homes that they would simply not be able to work. And if they didn't work, they wouldn't earn money mm. and that would affect the economy. And probably also the divorce rate because <laughs> 21st century men ain't got time for that. Um, so that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, cleaners are such an important part of economic productivity and, and commerce because nobody wants to work or spend their money 
in squalor, in like a filthy place, mm. right? Yeah. So there was actually this study done um, in the UK in 2009, and I know that was ages ago, but bear with me because it's really hard to find data on this stuff, which is part of the problem. Mm. Um, and what they calculated was that for every one pound they're paid, hospital cleaners and childminders create nine pounds in socioeconomic value. That's nine times what they're paid, right? On the other hand, bankers, for instance, who are obviously paid a fortune, often cost the global economy and create financial crisis. And so their calculation was that in the UK, leading bankers for every pound they are paid destroy seven pounds in socioeconomic value. And I mean, that kind of blew my mind, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were so many other examples like this that I think people really need to know about. Um, there was actually a study done in, oh, no, 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 yes, I spoke about this study. Um, and the name of the study was the New Economics Foundation Study. Um, and it's actually, it's, it's worth quoting their spokeswoman who said, pay levels often don't reflect the true value that is being created. As a society, we need a pay structure that rewards those jobs that create the most societal benefit rather than those that create profits at the expense of society and the environment. And we don't realize how many of these graduate jobs, these you know, high-profile jobs, are actually costing us in, in, in socioeconomic progress. Mm. Um, anyway, forgive my rant, but I just want you ladies to never any, make any mistake about how valuable you are to our society and never be made to feel small. And I'm going to draw that into your heads <laughs> if it's the last thing I do, because that's, yes. that's just so incredibly important. Um, but on that note, Lisa, on to our next question. So ladies, um, we have very interesting presidents here in South Africa. And as Zimbabwean women, <laughs> you have a very interesting president yourselves. Um, so we want to understand from you what you feel might be the difference or similarity between our two presidents and keeping in mind, you know, how they've handled <laughs> democracy and those sort of things. And don't worry, they'll never find you. <laughs> Langa. Um, well, the difference between the two presidents is that I think there is no difference. They're all the same. <laughs> right? <laughs> because when we look back... Um, the Zimbabwean president, he's done a lot of things, mm. and as well as the president of South Africa, they've done a lot of things, and for them to step down is a very difficult um, step because they all they all um, want to protect themselves yeah. in their office. Right. So the presidency. So does the presidency uh, protect them from their crimes or from from paying from paying for their crimes? <laughs> no, um, they the like I said, um, it's 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 difficult for them to step down because they know in the past, like the Zimbabwean oh, president, so the secrets that will come out. You yes, think? he's uh, like a lot of people were killed. The Nimali people were killed. Mm -hmm. And on, on the South African side, when you look at it, um, the president has been on some rape trial. Mm -hmm. So those are one and of the... And these are just the things that are known publicly, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. so you feel like if he doesn't have, if they don't have that much power anymore, um, their people perhaps won't protect their secrets. Yes. You know, because they won't have any incentive to yes. do so. Yes. So it actually might land them in hot water. I absolutely agree with you. 
Um, Manda, what do you think? Yeah, <coughs> I think, I think, I think the same because, um, like things which have happened before, I think one thing which makes them not want to retire or to give a chance mm-hmm. to other people, I think it's because of, I think, greedy. You can mm-hmm. say they are greedy of mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. and greedy of wealth. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the things they want to cling into power. Mm. I agree. Well, and what do you think, Mandla, of um, how how Mugabe has been quite radical in his decisions with how he runs the country? So things like chasing all white farmers away, and some of the laws that he's implemented to be quite radical about. You know, taking all, um, traces of colonialism away in a way. Um, how do you, do, do you think it's effective? Do you think it's been somewhat good for the country? Do you think it's about growth or do you think it's destroying? Uh, I think that was the waste decision because, you know, Zimbabwe is re- was rich in farming. Mm-hmm. Farming was bringing a lot of, um, currency in the country. Mm-hmm. Like from the time those farmers were chased out of the country, that's when the economy went down the drain. Mm. That now people are suffering because those people who are in the farms, they can't farm enough to, to let, the, to make the country running. And they don't even know how to do the farming like the other previous farmers were doing. Mm. To me, I think that is the worst decision government they've made. Shucks. Yeah. Um, and regarding our guy, I was actually <laughs> thinking about this the other day as I was watching the impeachment debate and that was the motion brought before Parliament by the DA for Zuma to step down, right? And So I was watching the session and I knew full well that what was going to happen. I knew the motion didn't stand a chance because Zuma has far too many cronies in his pocket who were going to vote his way. And then I thought, what if it was a referendum? And what a referendum is, is when every citizen in the country votes on an issue before parliament, parliament rather, and not just the parliament, right? So if we did a one-man, one-vote and asked, should Zuma step down, what would the outcome have been different, right? This is what I'm thinking. And I think that it might have been. I don't know how different. I don't know if, I'd, I don't necessarily know if it would have swung it. Perhaps not, but I think it would have been different because a lot of diehard, ANC supporters have lost faith in the in the leadership. And then my final thought was, but what is it called when the people in a country already know the outcome of an issue before parliament, before it's even decided? And they know it because it's going to be based on the will of one man. And I think that's called a dictatorship. You know, and that's why I I mean, I don't think there are, there are too many differences between Mugabe and Zuma. Um because a lot of what that man has been getting away with in this country, it scares me to say it, but it resembles a dictatorship. And as South Africans, we honestly, it's crunch time. We need to step back and decide how much of this bullshit we're going to take before we find ourselves in a whole different kind of oppressive situation. Okay, so we're going to go. The Josie Urban Trail and Obstacle Run is back on the 28th of May. Challenge your friends, challenge your family, enter the 12 or 18 kilometer adventure or 6 kilometer fun run. Whether you want the scenic route or the adventurous route, the choice is yours. 
with nothing stopping you. It's go time. The Hallout Jura, brought to you by Adreach and Joburg City Parks and Zoo. Enter at jawsyadventure.co.za. Leonardo and Rita were finally taking their honeymoon, and they'd chosen the most luxurious honeymoon suite that money could buy. On tonight's episode of Did You Know? Carbon Monoxide, the silent killer. The historic suite had every romantic necessity, including a generous 18th century indoor fireplace. A lot of things can cause a CO spill, but the number one culprit is the indoor fireplace. The enthusiastic lovebirds wasted no time, and within mere moments, the open flames were casting two bobbing shadows on the suite's ornate walls. The initial symptoms of poisoning include breathlessness and disorientation. Oh my, I feel breathless, gasped Rita. What planet are we on? whispered Leonardo. Inhaling the gas for a period of 20 minutes will start to weaken the muscles and can even lead to vivid hallucinations. They lay limp in each other's arms before the fiery glow, while over in the corner, a Bengal tiger played the sitar. At Road Lodge, there's no chance of getting carbon monoxide poisoning from the fireplace because there is no fireplace. Road Lodge, the no-frills one-star hotel. Hi there, we're back on the very first session of um, Made with Cliff Central. Okay, so we just spoke about the differences between the Zimbabwean president and the South African president. Um, my next question on a similar note is what would you ladies do differently if you were president? And I know you have great answers because I've spoken to you this about, about this before. Um, Linda? Um, if I, were, I was a president, I'll do the different, like I'll give um, people self-employment mm-hmm. and to earn their own money not depend on me okay yes okay great mm-hmm. um Mandela. i think if i were i was going to be a president i think the first thing i would do i'll look into the salaries of the seven civil servants mm-hmm. like teachers nurses doctors and police force because those are the most important departments in the country everybody in the country or in the world have gone through a teacher have gone through a nurse or Mm. doctor Mm. and the police keep the law so I think that's the first thing I'll do then the other thing I'll do as a president I'll live in the state house when I'm still in power and from my salary I'll build a small house for myself and my family so that when I retire, I can have somewhere to live, not to build a palace. Mm. <laughs> That's wonderful. Okay, and Langa? Um, I'll stay close to the people um, because they, they need closeness. Mm. So if, if you could listen to the people's cries, what they need, their problems more, and than anything else, right. put your, put your, put them first before you in everything. So you feel like our presidents are currently not close to the people; no. they don't understand. So the, they don't meet the people's demands. Yeah. So I think I'll stick close to the people. Okay, great tools. And 
So imagine being president again. Um, what <laughs> law would you pass? Like what, what would be one compulsory law that you would think is very or important? Two. And it can already be a law or maybe it isn't one. But what, yeah, what one or two laws would you um, make sure is there if you were president? My love? I think I'll, I'll, I'll create another law. I don't think it is there. Mm. Um, to make sure that there is a law which says that domestic workers should have a patient fund. Uh, medical aid, pay them a little bit more so that can afford to deduct that money from the salary so that they can have good life after retiring. That you know, I was working as a domestic worker. Now this is these the fruits of end. Mm. Yes. Mm. Langa, do you have anything? Um, firstly, I would introduce a law that they must be more female. Taxi drivers on the roads. What? <laughs> okay, tell us about this. I think women uh, are not as reckless as men drivers. <laughs> sure, that's actually yeah, true. Yeah, and um, I think I'll also introduce. So no, actually, I really wanna I wanna talk more about that. So do you think that if we had more female taxi drivers, there'd be less lawlessness, and they would care more about the passengers? Yes. Cause I it would just be a safer mode of transportation. It's safe, and I think I have seen one or two women driving. So you personally feel safer <laughs> with a, a female taxi driver? Yes. Interesting. And they're not rude. <laughs> Interesting. So I think there's actually probably a legitimate demand for that that mm. hasn't been realized. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, and secondly, I think um, I would introduce that the... Um, Uniform, slavery uniform must be removed. Slavery uniform. Slavery uniform. The uniform we use. Oh wow! (laughs) So at least if they can create or design something that's slavery uniform. Wow, wow, that is such a powerful (laughs) statement. No, I mean I've, jeez, I've, I've often said before that I feel like you know so many things about domestic work or neo-slavery and it is actually a product of slavery yeah. in so many ways and needs to, to change but to have it come from you is actually mm-hmm. incredibly profound because it's a lived experience I mean that's what you actually wear Mandla do you want to say something? yeah I would like to, to add to that mm-hmm. to say that you know we call it a slave uniform because that uniform is just dumped on you mm-hmm. you are not even asked what color do you prefer or what do you want? Someone just goes to the shops and buy this thing and comes it with and say, this is your uniform I've bought for you. Mm. So I think employers should think to say that we are human beings as well. Mm. What do I want? What do I like to dress on? Because it's me who's wearing that uniform. Absolutely. Wow. Very powerful mm. stuff, ladies. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question. African governments are often criticized for not making democracy work. And there are a slew of reasons for this. But I'd like to know from your perspective, what about democracy in Africa you think does not work? And Mandela, I'm going to direct this one to you. I think it doesn't work because of this clinging into power for a long time. That's why it is not working. The greed you were talking about. Yes, I think, you know, because they are so greedy, so they want to cling to this. 
power. And the other thing is that because they were, they fought for freedom, mm. they think that they've got a right hmm. to do whatever they want, to stick into that power for a long time because, you know, they fought. But when they were fighting, they were saying that they were fighting for the majority. Yes. But now it's just them. They don't think about what the masses are thinking about. Do you think, think do you think they might just be tired because they focus so much on you know the 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 crowd and now it's finally over the fight is in a way over and so now it's sort of the opportunity to think of themselves for a change. Yeah, actually I think Linda was saying something the other day. What were you yeah. saying the other day about this? No, I said that they I think they suffer too much. Mm. You said it was suffering. Yes. Right. And I found that very interesting. Because do you think it's maybe a victim mentality then that they have? Like, as with a lot of trauma victims who I imagine feel like, you know, they can feel like the world owes them something. And do, do you think maybe it's that? I think it yes. is. Because it's interesting to think of uh, what I loved about her point is I think it's interesting to think of freedom fighting as, as trauma because I don't think a lot of people do. You know, we mm. often assume that these people are superhuman and they have limitless amounts of of sacrifice in them. Um, but if you think about some of the things that it entails to be a freedom fighter, right? If you think about torture, for instance, or imprisonment or exile, or the amazing personal sacrifices that some of them have had to make, I guess that kind of thing can either make you into a stronger person or it can make you into somebody who is bitter, you know, and yeah. self-serving. Yeah. Um, and I really think you're onto something there because maybe that, maybe the remedy for that, the remedial action for that, actually, that's maybe lacked for a long time, is trauma counseling, like intensive trauma, trauma counseling for, for African leaders. I think they need it. But for the moment, Mandla, do you think their greed is justified because they are victims or they were victims? No, still right. not. <laughs> no, because it can go one of two ways, right? For yeah. some people, it makes them into these remarkable leaders, mm. and then for others, it turns them the other direction. So they, mm. there's got to be some character in there. Mm. But I think that there was a lot of trauma yeah. that perhaps wasn't addressed, especially when they stepped into the leadership. You know? Yeah, that might be true. Hmm. Mm. Very great points, ladies. Okay, tools. Um, so as foreigners, I think this might be a, a close topic, but, um, you know, with, with the waves of xenophobic attacks that happen sort of here and there in, in South Africa, why do you think that these attacks happen so sporadically and spread apart and aren't a consistent thing that happens in the country? Exactly, because, I mean, you meet a lot of uh, African nationals who feel at home, mm. and then all of a sudden there's a surge of xenophobia, and they feel unwanted, you know, and mm. it, it seems to go back and forth. So, wh why do you think that this is? Manla. Um, I think it, I, I don't think that South Africans hate foreigners, mm. Mm. they love them. I think it's just something when they're like frustrated about something, mm. they're not happy about something, they just vent their anger towards the foreigners. Hmm. Which is not like they hate because you know, I think they've got they when they are angry. Mm. That's what that's when it happens. Because
Because, you know, people don't stay angry all for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's only when they're angry, yes. when they will attack foreigners. Mm-hmm. But you, yeah. you, you speak of foreigners, and, you know, they are African foreigners, they are European foreigners. Yeah. So why do you think they target African foreigners specifically and not any other type of foreigner? Uh, I think they attack African foreigners because you know why? Because African foreigners, they live amongst the community. Right. The European foreigners, they come, you know, they buy their fancy houses in the suburb. So these ones who are in the community, you know, there is small space or jobs which is going to be a competition. Mm -hmm. So that's when when they get angry, they just... Right. Lash it out right. towards those people. So do you think people. it's actually perhaps their frustrations with government? I uh, think they are frustrated about the government not doing enough, helping right. with the civil, the 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 the, the and things. And they need somewhere to to put that anger, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think Lambda, that's do you have that. anything to add? Um, just because they're living amongst the other South Africans, um, I think they fight directly for the jobs. Oh, it's a competition. Yeah, there's a competition over the jobs. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I think one of the saddest things about colonialism is that it made it made us hate and undermine ourselves as Africans. I, I really, I really think that, and I think that's at least part of the reason why our xenophobia targets other Africans. I think Steve Biko would say that it's a it's a it's at least a kind of of self hatred, right? Mm. Which is why I think we isolate ourselves as South Africa so much, um, and cling to this worldliness of ours and the status is uh, the status of being a world class country in Africa. Because it saddens me to say it, but I actually don't think that a lot of South mm. Africans believe. In the rest of the continent And that really does make me sad Because I think we have so much to learn From the rest of the continent But I think it is it is a, a sort of Hatred of, of self that, that dates back um, To colonization I don't know if you guys agree with that Do you think that's at least part of the reason why Some of the xenophobia targets African nationals For instance, when I think of words like guera, guera, You know, that's, that, that's hateful yeah. And it's, it's, it's derogatory It, looks, it, it, it undermines people Right? Yes, yes, it does. Yes. Mm. Sure. And on a final note um, of the questions, we, you know, you, you exist in very interesting spaces because, you know, there always seems to be a divide between a space that, you know, say uh, a, a bus is in versus a worker and those sort of things. And so we want to ask um, what you feel you know, because spaces can can unite and it can divide, it can equalize. So, what do you? Th- which spaces do you think unite first of all, and which spaces do you think equalize us? We are all the same in that space. No one is bigger than the other. Equalize and unifies. So, Tuliza's an architect, and she's very <laughs> <laughs> she's very, very into much, space. She's very into space. No, and she's turned me into a spatial thinker as well, and she's made me realize just how much um, space impacts on, on social justice and on the progress of a, a society. So, I think these are very interesting things to consider. Hmm. So, do you have some ideas? 
Manda? I think uh, the place where people can come together and be equal is when there is a soccer World Cup. Mm. <laughs> people become friends and happy. Okay, so in stadiums? Yes, in stadiums. Okay. Yes. And another place which is supposed to make people come together is in churches. Mm. But I, I don't find that much in churches, which is the most best place for people to come together because of their beliefs. Uh-huh. But it's not there. Really? No. What is your experience in churches? I've experienced that, you know, people, they still look like at you as if you are not a human being or like you shake a hand. Then after that, someone wipe his hand or his hand on his clothes, which shows me to that, that (laughs) there is no love. There is no Christianity. eh? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Linda, do you have any ideas? Yeah. Maybe can you not uh, choose? Choose. Yeah. That's a really good banks. one. Does it does it unite or does it equalize? No, like we equalize. Yeah. It makes people equal, right? Because yes. it doesn't matter if you're in a queue. Yes. Yes. It doesn't matter who you are. Yes. I mean, unless you're gonna bribe, it doesn't matter who you are. You know, <laughs> you've just got to wait your turn, yeah, right? Unless you can bribe, but yeah, at the bank you can't bribe. <laughs> it's true. No, I also I love queues for that yeah. reason, and I love voting queues for that yes. reason as well. They yeah. make me very happy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes people yes. come together. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, yes. and then Langa. Um, even in hospitals, when you're queuing up in hospitals or clinics, it's all the same. People mm-hmm. get together, people chat, become friends. Um, sitting next to each other Even if you want to go to the toilet Somebody's going to hold your place Because we're all going for the same thing We're all sick Because we're sickness all does <laughs> not seeking. discriminate yeah, We're all going to seek treatment So there's no one better there It's true mm. I actually always find that experience in, in, in hospitals Whenever I've been sick You know It just seems like people are more Friendly Friendly mm. You know And they, they're more supportive mm. Um it's about how struggle unites, I guess, right? Mm. That's true. Yeah. And then anyone have any other ideas? You mentioned something about toilets. What do you think about those? <laughs> public toilets. Public toilets. Yes. Mm. How do you feel when you're in a public toilet? Do you think it's a space that unites or equalizes? <laughs> mm, equalizes. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, we all want to use the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to go there, so... Yeah, it's true. And because our poo is all equal, hey? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that, that doesn't discriminate is, is, is diarrhea. So <laughs> no, it's true. Um, yes, and I've actually had lots of interesting conversations waiting for the toilets. So that's, that's an interesting space. Um, okay, so we still have a bit of time. Yeah. And I want to throw in one more question. Okay, so... I think the way that people spend money is a very cultural thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to know from you, what do you think, if, if, if two people were given money, a million rand, one was Zimbabwean and one was South African, um, what do you think would be the difference in the way that they spend their money? Linda. Okay, the difference is if a Zimbabwean spend that money, is going to build the house and then expand that money to buy livestock for investment. Investment. Yes. Okay, so you said the difference, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Somebody give me, and you don't think a South African would do that? 
No, no, somebody, they can't. Somebody, they can't. Somebody, <laughs> somebody tell me what they think a South African would do. Madla, do you want to go? Uh, I think, in my thought, I think a South African, first of all, he or she will buy a fancy car, then buy some beers and meat <laughs> and have a bride and have a party. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, okay. <laughs> and why do you? Why? So, uh, why do you think that is? Do you think? I don't, I don't think that most of people will think of buying houses because you know they get free houses. Oh, you're talking about RDP houses. Yeah, they're getting free houses. Uh, while it's the Zimbabwean, there is no free houses. You yes. can't get. You have to work for yourself to buy your own so stand and build a house. So that's interesting. So you don't think the role of the government is to give you a house? In my opinion, I think it's not like that. The, the people should build their own houses. And where does then the government, the government come, in? come in with uh, with their services? Hmm, so they just support the things that you work for. Yeah, yourself. so that we teach our children how to work for your own future, hmm. not like wait to have start given something, to be sure, given something. Sure, that's such a rich conversation, and yeah. I really hope we can have it another time. Um, but actually, what I just came to my mind was something Langa said the other day about uh, the pup and veggie diet. <laughs> what? What's that? It's a Zimbabwean thing, right? It's yeah, that's a diet because, like, as you get that money, you are going to build a home to shelter your family. And as so when you're building that, the parent is going to obviously tell the family that, look, guys. Um, this coming months or months, we have to stick to this diet. We're going to have pop and veg because we do not have money uh, to buy really sure so because we have to put that money on bricks, cement. Sure. And so that's a diet. No luxuries as, you know, cool drinks, meat, meat and all things like <laughs> wow. that. Stick to veggies. There will mm. be cabbage or the Which green Which is veggies. actually healthy. Yeah, it's very healthy. So you kind of kill, you know, two birds with one stone. It sounds like it's just a terrible diet, but... You end up healthy and you build a house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, Anyway, we're almost running out of time. There's so much more we'd like to touch on. But, um, and you know, we we, we could talk to you ladies forever. We, We really could. Uh, But I think that that's all we have time for today. Uh, However, you know... And I know that this is just the beginning, right? Because there's so much more where that came from. And you ladies really, really have gone from strength to strength. Um, And I just, I want to thank you for your courage. And I want to thank you for your grace. And trust me when I say that spending time with you has been the best education of my life. Um, and I'm so impressed with what you've achieved here today. And I think you guys are doing a really, really special thing for our progress as Africans and as as humanity at large. And I want you to keep it up. And I know, you know, this is not quite my couch at home. <laughs> so I think you were a little bit more reserved than usual. But um, I think with time... <laughs> <laughs> that people will realize just how full of character yeah. and jokes and wisdom Absolutely you are. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I just really want to thank you. Tools, do you have any last words? Um, well, we, firstly, I, I am absolutely humbled <laughs> by all of you, you. Um, including my wonderful partner in Bali. 
Um, I learned so much from all of you every single day. And, you know, this, this really, <laughs> it highlights how much we need each other. And I think, you know, as one, one of Mbali's top uh, yeah, little comments was that, um, you know, as, as Africans, you really don't support each other. And, and there's a lot of self-hatred and hatred towards each other. And, and women so, in particular. I absolutely. think it can be particularly bad with women, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's been, it's been extremely humbling for me to meet Incredible women that all are all about support and love and care and the integrity with which you undergo, you know, every situation in your lives is so admirable. And I am honored to continue to learn from all of you. Um, okay. Ladies, do you have any last words? Anything you want to say that comes to mind? No? <laughs> 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 okay, well, in, in that case, uh, we're gonna close out with a, a really special piece read by Susanna Mandla, our very own, and it's called The Made Treaty. Tuliza, tell us about the beautiful music in the background. Um, so the, the music is, is made by a very, very talented, uh, jazz musician from Alexandra. His name is Gabriel Masike. Um, and, he he is he's opened up his own jazz school he's extremely involved in a lot of different bands in the creating of very modern fresh music as well as extremely intricate jazz pieces and so the song that we're playing out with is just one of the pieces that he did for us in the morning very quickly and he's very very talented and amazing man thank you so much for joining us it's been such a pleasure um and we'll we'll catch you later but stop now and again and say thank you. It is never enough to mumble a hi if you do not look a person in their eyes, nor is it enough to simply be nice. If you double their weight without thinking twice, as she clears the ground beneath you, step into her shoes onto a path no one would easily choose. Undervalued in spite of the sweat she's produced, a life most of us would completely refuse. Her contribution is huge, although often abused. Her hands touches everything we use. Our indifferences is good. We have no excuse to forget to show her gratitude. Never leave her with work you would not do. Not without considering she is as human as you. A life just as true, who had a childhood too, with dreams that did not include our residue. She cleans this floor day after day. Perhaps to us it's all the same, but imagine starting over and over again. Let's try to walk out of her way. If it is chewed or used, swallowed or spewed, or anything that your body is produced, the disposal should not be hers to do. It is not only rude, it is blunted abuse. Before you leave something for her to clean, take a second to ask yourself where it has been. Before you leave something for her to do, take another to ask yourself if you would too. Without guilty or blame or even knowing her name, we can all do our part to spare her any shame, because if ever our roles are exchanged, we would certainly hope that she do the same. 
And if you do learn her name, practice it every day. Because identity is not a thing of play. As she brings your world on a silver tray, be damn sure to call her Susanna Ashe. This is CliffCentral.com.